Welcome in. I'm Grayson Grunhafer. This is Travis Roeder. And today we are talking about the Big 12. We're going to give some reasonable expectations for every team in the Big 12 conference. We're going to go from the bottom of last year's standings all the way to the top, talk about kind of where we feel these programs fit in this year and maybe kind of how they're adapting um, in this kind of crazy Big 12. I know we both have very interesting expectations going into the season, but Travis, I know um, you have some stats for us that you're, you're going to bring up here in a little bit, um, but how are you feeling just kind of about the Big 12 in general this year? Um, I just, I mean, it's just year over year. It's the craziest conference. Uh, it's about to change by adding more than 10 teams, but the round robin aspect, I know Matt Rule talked about it a time when he was here, like as a coach, it just changes the way that you prepare for every season or it just makes it not necessarily changes the way you prepare, but it changes, you know, how the season operates and that every team knows everything about each other. It's the same deal in basketball. And I think it's kind of what's made the big 12 most unique conference over the last decade or so. And I think we're going to see more of the same this year. Um, and the other unique thing is that, as a general point, you know, I don't think the talent discrepancy from 1 to 10 in this conference is it's, – it's probably the most – the teams are most similar talent-wise than any other conference out there. Um, and so that just leads to – you know, I'll get into this, but it's why I think great coaching staffs are so undervalued uh, because when the talent is similar across the board, um, great coaching staffs is what elevates things. Um, and so I think it's just going to be another another wide open year. Um, I obviously think, you know, there's kind of some tiers of teams that, you know, some teams that we're definitely going to predict are going to do better than others, obviously. Um, but just the whole aspect of it being teams being very similar, a lot of great coaches. You know, Kendall talks about how in basketball, how it's like, you better be a great coach if you're going to win in the Big 12 in basketball. You can't just be okay. And I think it's very similar in football. These teams are all really close. Yeah, and I think the national media kind of is just saying this is the year where the Big 12 is not going to have a playoff team. This is the year where every, you know, the best team in the conference is going to go 10-2. and two. And I got to be honest, I don't think I'm buying that. I think at the end of the year, there will be a team or two who really do separate themselves, kind of like last year. Yeah. I don't think anyone felt like Baylor was some juggernaut or that Oklahoma State was really going to go through the Big 12 the way that they did, but it always seems to end up happening. So I'm very curious at kind of um, where we're going to go as far as these projections go and kind of expectations for these teams, but I do think there will be an outlier or two good and probably an outlier or two that aren't so good as well. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the bell curve, right? It's the normal distribution. I think by the end of the year, there's going to be a team or two where everything falls apart for them and they're scraping for one or two conference wins. And then there's going to be a team or two that really separates themselves. And traditionally you need to be at two losses or fewer to make the big 12 title game. Usually one team has one loss. Usually the other team has two losses. I expect more of the same this year. Absolutely. So I know before we get into the first team we're going to talk about, which is Kansas, you had an interesting stat kind of going back in history and kind of giving us yeah. a little bit of a statistical predictor right? yeah yeah I mean I just think it's really important that before you start doing projections that you understand you know you kind of tally up what has to happen I think what's frustrated me on some college football podcasts before is when people will do um, projections and it's just like you get through the whole conference and you realize that their win totals just like don't add up it's like this team seven and five this team seven and seven. it's like not everyone can go seven and five you know somebody's got to lose these games and it's kind of what I was just talking about with the Big 12 being crazy, um, you know, there's everyone's playing nine conference games. You know, they're <laughs> somebody's got to lose these games. Somebody's got to win them. And so I just kind of went back and since the since the Big 12 became round robin and just looked at like, okay, so if you're finishing seventh in the conference, what does that really mean? Obviously, year to year it changes somewhat, but traditionally that means you're finishing with around three and a half wins. So you're either winning three or four games, right? Um, and basically how that goes is like it's from first down to 10th. It's like eight wins, seven wins, six wins, six wins, five, four, four, three, two, one. Anyway, knowing those numbers isn't necessarily super important for remembering them off the top of your head. But it does kind of show you that like, yeah, it's like I just mentioned, if you're going to make the conference style game, that means you're winning eight conference games or seven conference games, which mm -hmm. means you're either winning or losing only one or two games. And then when you kind of get – but the, the interesting thing is when you get kind of like down from – teams five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, there's, that's a lot more bunched up together. Um, so you're looking at teams that are kind of scraping and clawing in that two, three, four win conference range. And as we'll get into with our next team with Kansas, traditionally Kansas has been winning either zero or one conference game. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's gonna be the case this year. 
And so that's going to make the bottom of the conference even crazier because you're going to have teams just two, three, four conference wins that, you know, teams that think that they should be middle of the pack, but middle of the pack this year might mean you're finishing eighth in the conference mm-hmm. with three conference wins. So uh, I just think it's important um, that when you're doing these projections, you kind of tangibly realize what this means. You, you can be a good team this year in the Big 12 and, and finish seventh. I absolutely believe that. Yeah, and that's that's the tough part about the Big 12 is that it feels like it has been like that for a while. But if you're, I mean, you're exactly right. If we're going to give Kansas a few wins, if their expectation is they take even a minimal jump, mm-hmm. that eats into wins for the other teams in the conference. Yeah. So I, I think that is absolutely fascinating. Um, and I think it's kind of important to note kind of where these teams need to end up if they want to finish sixth or seventh yeah. or eighth. So um, let's dive into Kansas. Do you want do you want to do that? Yeah, do you yeah just real thing? quick. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I think it's helpful too for, I remember before the 2021 season, Baylor was picked seventh before last year, right? Yeah, sixth or seventh, yeah. And, and I think I just instantly said, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to happen, but if you're finishing seventh, you're finishing with three conference wins. Mm-hmm. Baylor's not only going to have three conference wins this year. and But I looked at the teams above them, and I was like, well, who do you pick them ob- above? Um, and it's tough because you have to make an argument for each team, but I just had this sense that this is not a team that's only going to win three conference games. And their over-under was five and a half. Right. Um, which is, was, absur- I mean, yeah absurdly low i even think if you just said three conference wins that's at least they're winning six games right exactly so i think it's a helpful way to look at a team and you you, if you think to yourself you know this team's definitely going to win five conference games they're i think they're in that four to five win i mean that means you're saying they're a top half the big 12 right team so i just think it's helpful way to frame things okay so you're going to tell me that kansas is a four or five win (laughs) conference team, not quite (laughs) no but i mean they've been at either zero or one win Mm -hmm. for a decade now. Yeah. I um, mean, obviously, they hilariously won against Texas last year. Um, they almost beat Oklahoma. I mean, and not just almost, like, basically had that game until the very end. I watched their spring game, and <laughs> it was hilariously a lot of Kansas State fans jumped on me um, for being like, you can't tell a team's good from the spring game. I'm like, yes, yes, you can. <laughs> mm-hmm. They looked really good. Uh, I mean, I think we all remember Matt Rule's first spring game, and if anybody was being honest when they watched that game, they were like, oh, this – this team is going to struggle. Uh, you can see a cohesion. And the thing that really impressed me from the Kansas spring game is that they obviously probably have the worst talent in the conference. But they definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, but offensively, their quarterback is good. Um, I mean, I think he's at least fine. He's not, like, disastrous. Mm-hmm. Um, and he they run basically the same scheme that Baylor does. It's this wide zone scheme. And when you watch them operate offensively, it's the same feeling that you got watching Baylor early last year, where coming off a disastrous 2020 where the scheme was totally incoherent offensively, and then all of a sudden you see spring 2021, you're like, I don't know how good this offense is going to be, but they know what they're doing. Um, the offensive line is moving as one. The running backs are making the right reads. Like You can just see how everything coheres. And I got the very same feeling watching Kansas. Obviously, they don't have a Tyquan Thornton. They don't have an Abram Smith. But they're running backs. They know what they're doing. I just think that they're like... They do have a Devin Neal. Yeah, they do have a Devin <laughs> Neal running back. And I actually thought he looked good. They had a few running backs that looked good. So, yeah, the talent's not there. Like, if, you know, if Baylor's playing at their best, if Oklahoma's playing at their best, if most teams in the conference are playing their best, Kansas is probably not going to beat them. But that's not how college football works. I mean, you're dealing with injuries. Teams are dealing with motivation issues. There's illnesses, everything. And so I just think that they're... They're coherent and they're well coached. They don't have good talent, but when you're well coached and you know what you're doing and you have a plan, I think they're going to get to two conference wins at least and potentially be at three. Okay. Um, so yeah. All right. So let let's go through their schedule really quick. Um, it starts off horribly. Uh, they got Tennessee Tech to start the year. That's fine. Then at West Virginia, at Houston, Duke, Iowa State, TCU, all at home, at Oklahoma, at Baylor. Then they finally get a bye week before finishing off with Oklahoma State at home and then at Texas Tech, at home against Texas, at Kansas State. Um, this is a daunting schedule. Yeah, that's, that's bad. Th- this is where, this is where I, I sit back and go, okay, so they can beat Tennessee Tech. So that, that's their one win at the beginning of the year. How do I find two more wins on this schedule? Yeah. Um, especially when you talk about the fact that they got to go to West Virginia and to Houston and then Duke, there is a very high chance that they they're one and three mm-hmm. to start the year, um, and that's hard to come back from. 
I feel like that can get to you mentally and through your psyche as a team. I agree with you. I like their quarterback. I think there's still a lot to prove there. Oh, definitely. I'm a little suspect about their offensive line. I really want to see them actually be able to run the ball on good defenses because I just am of the mindset that that's not going to happen. Right. Um, they do have Devin Neal. I like him, but I don't think their weapons are enough. I don't think their talent acquisition has been enough to really keep up with the teams in the Big 12 consistently. Yeah. Um, now, if you're a Kansas fan, right, I think you look at the over-unders two and a half. So I think a reasonable expectation in my eyes is taking one step forward and going three and nine. That's kind of the reasonable expectation that I have for this team based on their schedule, kind of what I've seen from them. But I also think they can be a really good three and nine team and lose a bunch of close games. Yeah, I mean, if you look at kind of like advanced stats for where the Big 12 traditionally lies, it's been, you know, a bunch of teams in the top 30 or 40 and then a couple of teams in that 50 to 60 to 70 range, and then Kansas at like 150th yeah. in the country. I think everyone in the Big 12 this year is going to be, you know, a top 80 team. Um, and Basically, I think Kansas is going to kind of join that crew of like, you know, West Virginia really fell off a cliff last year, and they were finished like, you know, 70th in the country. Mm-hmm. You look at most advanced stats. I think Kansas can very much kind of reach that below average bad echelon, which for them is a major, major step forward. You know, if I were if I were one of their fans and – I feel like we're approaching the limit of talking about Kansas here, but you know, I, I if this is a program that's going to get where they need to go, which is I think is just playing good, solid, competent football and maximizing the talent they're able to get there. Like this is a team that absolutely should be, you know, toe to toe with Duke in the non-conference mm-hmm. and probably you know winning that game. Maybe you know not. I wouldn't expect to say like they better beat Duke, but like that better be a very competitive game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I expect them to win two or three conference games just because I just think great coaching is worth a lot. Lance Leipold's a great coach, um, and you just catch a team at the wrong time. Their quarterback's injured. Key other pieces are injured. They don't care about playing Kansas, and they're not motivated to play them. Um, I just think they're going to get to two or three wins on that schedule. Which of those games is it going to be? I don't know, but that's kind of the fun of college football. There's a bunch of coin flips in there, and we'll see what happens. So are you leaning more towards four and eight then? Are you thinking maybe Duke and then Tennessee Tech and then two conference games? Yeah, so hammer the over, I guess. Hammer the (laughs) over, right? Okay, so that's Kansas. Uh, They finished 2-10 and 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 1-8 a year ago. Moving on to the next team on the list, it's Texas Tech. Um, They finished 7-6, 3-6 in the Big 12 a year ago. Um, and really, they started to to get momentum when Sonny Cumbie was their coach, mm-hmm. and now he's at Louisiana Tech. Joey McGuire is in as the head coach now, and I guess we'll just start with their schedule uh, to start things off. Another just daunting schedule. They I don't tr- know. Who's... They traditionally play pretty tough in the non-con, I think, right? <laughs> Houston Baptist. Oh, yeah. Okay, never mind. I, I mean, it. I felt like last year they were three and zero in the non-con because they just played. Oh, okay, never mind. I guess I'm just remembering the Houston game. But, right, um, right. Okay. Never yeah. Mind. So, so this year they're going Murray State. Then they got Houston at home. Okay. At NC State, which NC State, a lot of people are high on NC State this year. Okay. Then Texas at Kansas State at Oklahoma State by week. West Virginia at home, Baylor at home, at TCU, Kansas at home, at Iowa State, and then they close off the season uh, with Oklahoma coming into Jones AT&T Stadium. Where are the wins? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. And, <laughs> that's and a I, tough schedule. For sure. And NC State's a team uh, with Devin Leary at quarterback, yeah. who a lot of people are talking about as being a first-round pick. and. NC State as well. Um, is it, it's home Houston, right? Home against Houston, but Houston has some yeah. high expectations this year as well. Oh my gosh! And well, but at least I got Murray State. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if you look at this team, obviously they're bringing in uh, Zach Kitley, so they got a new offense. They're they're going to be throwing it, airing it out. That's what they did at Western Kentucky with ba- with uh, Bailey Zap. I just I'm very nervous about this team. They got Tyler Shug at quarterback and Baron Morton and Donovan Smith. I don't know that they have a quarterback. Yeah. I, I'm I'm nervous. The weapons aren't extremely intriguing to me. Miles Price is your best receiver. Sir Roderick Thompson, Taj Brooks, I like him, but, but I just I don't know that I see elite weapons on the offensive side to the point where you can just go out there and air it out against these big no, twelve not defenses. At all. And you know, we'll talk about Texas later. Baylor fans, you know, on three six five, we've been enjoying, you know, um, talking badly about Texas's O line. But if you want to actually look at the worst O line in the conference, it's going to be Texas Tech, um, and that was really what stood out to me in the spring game. 
Um, I watched it a couple months ago, so it's not super fresh on my mind. But my takeaways that I wrote down were, I think Baron Morton's probably going to be the guy. He looks solid, but he just doesn't have any weapons. And he's a guy that, like, you want throwing to a TJ Vasher or something like that. Um, he's a guy you want spreading the ball down the field. And if you if guys just aren't creating separation in a spread offense, it's really tough, especially when you don't have any time to throw because your offensive line is so bad. Um, so Roderick Thompson's a fine running back. But I just, I, you know, this is a team to where I think every time they play, you're going to expect them to score between 14 and 21 points. Um, and you're just not really scared of them you know, I don't think they're ever going to have many 40-point explosions. Um, the offensive line just isn't good enough, and they don't have good enough weapons. I was actually pretty impressed defensively. Um, they play hard. Um, it seemed like they knew what they were doing. Again, I think that's something you can tell from a spring game. Um, it could be a situation where they knew they were so much better than Tech's offensive line, and so they, they were playing super aggressive and playing really hard in a way that they won't have the confidence of doing against better offensive lines. But I, you know, I was relatively impressed, not in the sense of I think this is one of the three or four best defenses in the conference, but it didn't look like a unit that's going to, like, you know, cost them more games than their offense would. Um, so that I think this is a team with probably a middle-of-the-pack uh, national defense and just a struggling um, kind of fits-and-spurts type offense that just doesn't really bring much to the table. I think, you know, this is definitely a year zero type situation where they need to bring in a lot of talent at the skill positions, get some speed on the field, improve the offensive line, which, as we learned under Matt Rule, that is not an overnight project. Um, but, you know, listing out that schedule, man, uh, you know, I'm picking, you know, I'm picking Tech below Kansas in the conference. I mean, I think kind of at that bottom tier, and I guess we'll get into later, you know, the teams that I have in that bottom tier, but I think they're one of like the three or four worst teams in the conference you know, they're going to be scratching and clawing for one, two, three conference wins. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I do have some hope in their defense. They have guys, right? They got Tyree Wilson, yeah. a really good pass rusher, Krishan Merriweather. Um, their secondary, I know they're really high on their secondary. Adrian Fry, Dedarian Taylor, Demerson. They're, they're excited about that group. But I brought up this stat to you. Uh, you know how many times Tech has not given up 30 points per game? How many years in a row? Okay, it's been 13 years in a row that Tech has given up at least 30 points per game. Yeah. I just, I I don't think that's going to end this year. I know at Western Kentucky, Kitley, 27 minutes time of possession per game. When they're beating teams by like 30 or 40 points, they still weren't holding on to the football. They still weren't running the ball. I just, I, I don't see that changing. I think that's his philosophy. Yeah, and the problem that these bad offenses, especially when you have a bad offensive line run into, is that you want to p- play your style. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to buy into your style. But if you don't have the weapons to execute it, and you don't have the pass protection to execute it, then you run into sw- a situation where you're saying, well, we want to protect our defense a little bit. We don't want to give the ball back to the opposing offense so quick. But then you backstep on your style. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that buying in is so important. So it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation where they might be getting a lot of quick three and outs and then hurting their defense. Yep. But if they don't do it, what are they going to do? Run the ball into a brick wall and not get right. anything and then just eat up like a minute of clock? And the scheme's not built to run the ball like that yeah. either. So you're so. exactly right. Uh, that That is tough. I think a reasonable expectation year one with Joey McGuire is probably four wins. I think four and eight is about – where I end up here, I think they will upset someone at some point. They're going to have a rocking crowd for at least one game. They'll figure out a way to get a big win. They'll beat Murray State. Then you just got to find, you know, two more wins. If they yeah. can beat Houston, maybe that happens. Um, Kansas, obviously, they need to find a way to beat Kansas. So that's kind of where I have them. Their over-under is five, though, and I'm Ooh, taking under. the under. Yeah, I would probably put it closer to three. Okay. Um, and. I just want, I don't know. I guess I just want to clarify, you know, I like McGuire. Um, if he had been hired by Baylor, I would have been happy. Um, I just think that year zero situations are tough. And we're going to get into this when we talk yeah. about Oklahoma and, and these other schools, DCU. It's not a walk in the park. Especially in the Big 12. Like, if you're a year zero coach, you want to have a Kansas that's absolutely terrible. Uh, Matt Rule enjoyed that one win. Mm-hmm. Um Joey McGuire would love to have that one win, and I think they do get them at home. But I just don't think they're going to be that terrible this year. And so, I mean, that just makes the margins even thinner. Uh, I I think three is probably a closer number to where I expect them to be. You're looking to get that Murray State win, and then, you know, one or two conference wins I think is probably most favorable. But, again, these expectation games are hard, and it really just depends on the context of each game. Um, I had a friend who I was messaging with yesterday about this, and they were like, 
dude, don't pick them last. That means they're definitely going to beat Baylor. (laughs) (laughs) And you did anyways. Yeah, I Uh, know, I know, I know. That's tough. Okay, so moving on to the next team, it's TCU. Uh, They finished five and seven a year ago, three and six in conference. Uh, Gary Patterson is gone. He had been there forever. I mean, this is one of those huge cultural shifts because not only are they moving on from Gary Patterson, but they're moving from a defensive team to a more offense-heavy team with Sonny Dykes there. Um, Their schedule sets up like this. At Colorado, Tarleton State, bye week. Third week of the year is their bye week. Got to recover from Tarleton. At SMU, which you know is not going to be easy. (laughs) That's kind of like a huge trap game. Uh, Oklahoma uh, at home, at Kansas, Oklahoma State, and Kansas State at home, at West Virginia, Texas Tech at home, at Texas, at Baylor, and then Iowa State, at home. Okay. Yeah. That's how it lines up for uh, TCU. Yeah. I mean, this is another interesting team. It's a, it's another, you know, year zero versus year one. I I think it leans closer to year one. I don't think this needs to be a total rebuild. Um, TCU last year was a team that played with four wide receivers and one running back most of the time. That's what they're going to be doing on offense this year. Chandler Morris should be very comfortable uh, running that system. Defense, is he going to be the starter? I think so. Um, I mean, I actually didn't even know that Max Duggan was still on the team mm-hmm. until I watched their spring game. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, that's <laughs> Max Duggan. Uh, I just thought Morris looked better. Um, and, you know, defensively, I had fun watching. So their new defensive coordinator is Joseph Gillespie, I believe is his name. He came over from Tulsa. Tulsa had uh, played way above their pay, play grade pay grade, excuse me, played way above their pay grade there, uh, had great defenses, and I had a lot of fun watching them because I got to watch Jackson Player again. Mm-hmm. Um, they run a, a different style to Gary. Gary was kind of headstrong and playing with those four de- down defensive linemen. Um, and he, you know, he crafted that 4-2-5 20 years ago, and he was sticking with it till the end, even when it wasn't working. Uh, the new guy runs a three-down system, um, or the three-down three down defensive linemen are uh, playing in that tight front where they're all kind of inside the offensive tackles. And then they play with some linebackers who basically all play on their toes and they're looking to shoot gaps and get in the backfield. So I think their personnel fits it well. Uh, they're just looking at a lot of new guys at a lot of spots on that defense. And I think that's going to be an adjustment period. It's another team that has, you know, has good talent. They probably have a top five or six roster in the big 12. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, if everything clicks immediately offensively and this is a team that's scoring 28 to 31 points a game, you know, that's a team that's going to win three or four conference games mostly, most likely. And and their home schedule is pretty favorable in the, in the fact that they get some of their better teams at home. Um, I just it, – it's really tough. I have them in that kind of bottom grouping of teams that are going to probably be closer to two or three uh, wins, mostly just because I think there's so many good coaches in the Big 12. Uh, you're coming into a first-year program – and you're setting up everything new. Um, and while I think the talent is good, I don't think it's so good as to kind of overcome um, that year one aspect to it. Um, so I think kind of reasonable expectations for me would be like see the offense make progress, see Chandler Morris take big steps, see the, the foundations of the defense. The problem is I think TCU fans probably think we need to immediately be at seven or eight wins. I, I don't see it. I think they're going to be closer to four or five. Four, five, six. Uh, I think getting to bowl eligibility, I'd be very happy there. Um, and that's, I think, a little bit of a stretch just because I think the conference is going to be really good. So what do you think, Grayson? Yeah, so my my concerns, I have a lot of concerns here. So first of all, I don't know who the quarterback is. I agree it should be Chandler Morris. I think he fits what Sonny Dykes does much better. But I don't know that they're going to make that decision immediately. They yeah. might go with the older guy just to give them some stability. He would help in their run game as well. He's a little more physical um, before he gets hurt because yeah. Duggan has just had so many injury yeah. problems. Um, other issue here. The first game of Sonny Dyke's tenure is on a Friday night at 9 p.m. on ESPN at Colorado. That's the first game <laughs> of his tenure. And you're going to yeah. ask this team to go travel out there. I think they might lose that game. And then they beat Tarleton State, and then they have to go to SMU, where you know SMU fans might actually show up for a game just to root against Sonny Dykes. There's a chance they're 1-2 and in the non-conference. And unlike most teams in the Big 12, who pretty much are all going to start 2-1 and or 3-0, and 
they don't necessarily have that luxury. Yeah. And so if you're telling me they're one and two, and to make a bowl, they have to win five conference yeah, games. that's not happening. That's not happening, and they're not getting to six and a half wins. Um, yeah. So I'm taking the under. I think they're more like a five and seven team yeah. this year. I think that's probably where I'd put their immediate expectations. Um, I, I wrote a few notes, and I just looked at it here. I said they really need – if they're going to get to, like, become a good team this year, Chandler Morris has to be one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the Big 12. I mean, that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not – I wouldn't predict it to be the most likely scenario. But, you know, I think if this is a team that is kind of more in that third, fourth, fifth best team in the conference land, it's because it's just like, oh, how did we not see this coming? This offense is humming immediately. I mean, Quentin Johnson is one of the best receivers in the Big 12. He's the best and in my he, eyes. Yeah. Him and Worthy probably. Yeah. I mean, I'd put Xavier Hutchinson from, from Iowa State up there too. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it, yeah, all those guys are great. Um, and if you watch in the spring game, they're very clearly going to feature him. They were using him on some sweeps. They were definitely trying to get him the ball. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think if this goes right, it's like I said, we look at this and go, you know, how do we not see this coming? This offense is pretty much awesome from the get-go. The problem is I don't know if – I don't know if at running back they have – I mean, DeMarcado is a fine – he's an okay well, running Kendra, back. Well, Kendra Miller is, oh, yeah, Kendra is Miller. very good. My, my issue with them is I, I think they're going to take a big step back defensively. Oh, def- definitely. They lost so much. Definitely. They're going to run more tempo. I. I just I'm concerned because it is year one, right? right? So so there is that that is tough for any team in my eyes, and I think for TCU that's a good reasonable expectation is five and seven. You're just right around being a bowl team. It's year one, and you don't even know who your quarterback is. I just I, find I doubt it that's their fans' expectation though. That's the problem. Yeah. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. But I think that's a reasonable oh, expectation sure. going into the season for them. So now moving on to the next team, Texas. Wow, we're oh, okay. saying their name very early, and that's because they went five and seven a year ago, three and six in conference. Yeah. Can, I, can I stop you real quick, Grayson? Yeah, go for it. Um, just before we jump into Texas, yeah. uh, we've talked about Kansas, we've talked about Tech and TCU. Yes. I'm kind of curious, like, so uh, those are kind of those are actually the three lowest teams that I have again for 2022. Me too. What, what are you thinking as far as the order there? Like, do you see much separation between those three teams? I think TCU is going to be clearly better than those, than other, those two. other two. But I think Tech and Kansas are going to be very similar. Their records may not say it. Tech may, in my eyes, Tech has one more win than Kansas or right around the same amount. But I think TCU will clearly be better okay. even if their record doesn't necessarily show it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at there. So Texas, uh, my gosh, uh, over under nine wins. Um, for Texas coming into the year. They have uh, UL Monroe to start the year. Then they get to play Alabama at home, UTSA at home, at Texas Tech, West Virginia at home, Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl, uh, Iowa State at home, at Oklahoma State by week, at Kansas State, TCU at Kansas, and then finally they take on Baylor um, on Friday, November 25th to end the season. Um what that sounds think? like an overall pretty favorable schedule for them. I mean, no Big 12 schedule is going to be They're great. the only team that really starts 0-1, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. You're not beating Bama. Well, maybe they do. Yeah. That would be Texas, right? Yeah. Beat Bama and win, go 8-4. and four. Yeah, and I think just to tie this back into the conference wins thing again, I mean, the reason why we're talking about them already is because they finished 3-6 and six in conference last year. Yeah. The margins are so thin in this conference. I think that when Baylor played Texas last year, Texas was a top 25 team. I mean, uh, I don't know, remember if they were rankings-wise, but that was a really good team. The problem is that they had just lost three games in a row. They came in here, lost a what was ultimately a close game to Baylor, and then just collapsed. Yeah. And that's what's so interesting to me about college football. Why I like it more than the pros is, like, culture, team buy-in. Football is a game. So basketball, right, you can slack off a little bit on defense. You can play at 90%, and it's not necessarily immediately noticeable. The moment a football team starts playing at 98% instead of 100%, it's noticeable because you're going to get your butt piled, uh, you know, driven into the ground. Um, And I think that's what happened with Texas last year, and the margins are so thin. Um, You know, I did a pretty extensive uh, detail of them for Sigma 365 about a month or two ago. Their offensive skill talent is just, like, out of this world. Uh, Xavier Worthy... You know, Isaiah Nair is the transfer from Wyoming. Baylor really wanted him, and it's really obvious why. Everyone really wanted him. Yeah, exactly. Him, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, it was one of those funny things where I think you posted the offer, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this guy looks amazing. That's great. And then a week later, you know, Georgia, everyone else had yeah. offered him. Uh, I mean, I think those two guys, I mean, there's only three wide receivers, I think, that make the All-Big 12 team. But mm-hmm. I think there's a there's a legit possibility that both Nair and, and Worthy are at least 
top um, first and second team Big 12. And I, I will say I love it that you bring up those two because everyone continues to sleep on Jordan Whittington, who honestly, if you go back and watch them last year, when they lost him, they just started to collapse offensively because he's one of the most efficient third-down receivers in the yeah. Big 12 from a year ago. So he's a big guy yeah. to get back. I mean, and their running backs are just stupid good. I mean, obviously, Bijan's great. Um, who's the kid who was a quarterback? Roshan. Roshan Johnson yeah. has become – he's like a senior now, and he's just like a really good running back. They have the transfer from Alabama who isn't quite as good as Squirrel, but has, like, the same level of mm-hmm. athleticism. He's not as good of a pure running back as Squirrel, but, like, he's, like, their, like, third or fourth stringer. Yeah. Uh, Keelan Robinson is his name. Jaleel Billings, at tight end yeah, from Alabama. Exactly. I mean, just yeah. so many I mean, and guys. they have Jatavian Sanders, who's the five-star out of Denton Ryan, who is just an athletic freak at tight end. I think it's going to be a big year for him. The question is, you know, I think, I, I think this is a pretty obvious team in the sense of against – Average or below average defenses, they're going to score 31-plus every game. Their offensive skill talent is just that good. The problem is I think the top three in the Big 12, Baylor, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State, all have defensive fronts that are just going to demolish Texas's front. And so I think it makes it a very clear question, which is how good is Quinn Ewers when he's getting harassed on every play and they can't just run the ball for 150, 200 yards a game? that's the major question to me because I think their offensive talent is so good and we haven't talked about them defensively at all. Their defensive line is really, really good. I think their inside linebackers are going to continue to struggle. But I I mean, I think their defense is going to be fine. I don't think it's going to be a backbreaker. I don't think it's going to be a game winner. So to me, this is a question of if they're going to, if they're going to make the title game, their offense has to be otherworldly. I think it's going to be very good at minimum, but can they be otherworldly? And so that's the main question for me. How, what do they do when, you know, Apu Aika and Gabe Hall and Cole Maxwell and all these guys are just destroying that front every play. Uh, Quinn Ewers needs to be super Superman. What I saw in the spring game is not a guy that's Superman. I think he has obviously great arm talent, um, but it's kind of an open question for me for, like, how does he do when he's dealing with consistent pressure? Most quarterbacks don't like it, and especially not young quarterbacks. Yeah, I think they're going to get whooped up front on both sides. And, and it's more of a – I think it's because I, I view it more as a culture thing. And what I saw a year ago was a team that was just not physical up front on yeah. either side. And unfortunately, in the Big 12, this is not a conference where you can be like that anymore because if you're giving up relentless pressure to teams like Iowa State and TCU even and Baylor, I mean, you're going to struggle to win games because yeah. you're going to turn the ball over. You're going to have a lot of negative plays, a lot of sacks, and – that really puts you behind the eight ball a little bit. So for me, I, I just, I'm worried about Texas in that regard. They have great talent, obviously. And I agree with you when they play teams who can't get pressure on the quarterback. Oh, I mean, I think they could score 40 a game yeah, in yeah. those type of situations. I think 31 is the minimum. Right. And so that's kind of where I'm at with them. I think the over under being nine is just such, uh, that's such a big number in my eyes. And that really means, so if Alabama is a loss, probably right. uh and what are their other non-con games uh utsa at home and you ul monroe i mean utsa okay. might so that's two wins so that's basically saying they need to get at least seven conference wins seven that means they're two. going at least seven and two I, i'm putting the under on that i am too i have them i think they're eight and four that that's the expectation in my eyes i know texas fans want to say it should be more than that but you're five and seven year ago yeah. three more wins that's a big deal, and I also would say with the number one recruiting class on the offensive line coming in, they're going to be much better in year two than they are in year one. I mean, they're going to be relying on at least one true freshman for sure. on that offensive probably line. Probably two. And probably two. Yeah. And, yes, they're big and they're talented, but that's just not a position where you want to see that happen. Definitely not. So now next team up, how about a coach on the hot seat? Um, a major coach on the hot seat coming into this year. West Virginia okay. is up next. I, w- I thought you were about to make the argument that Matt Campbell is on the hot seat. No, 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 no. He, he's not up. They're not up yet. They yeah. surprisingly actually finished fourth in the conference, which I don't think many people realize. Yeah. But West Virginia, six and seven, four and five in conference, really up and down year. Uh, the defense finally broke. Uh, it finally just did not click the way that it had in the first couple years under Neil Brown. They made a lot of changes. Graham Harrell coming in to be the offense coordinator, JT Daniels in, which I know both you and I are definitely going to talk about JT Daniels and our expectations um, for him. But let's go through their schedule really quick first. At Pitt, Kansas at home, Towson at home, at Virginia Tech, at Texas, bye week. Baylor on a Thursday night. At Texas Tech, TCU at home, at Iowa State, Oklahoma, Kansas State, and then at Oklahoma State to finish 
the season. Um, what are your expectations for West Virginia? I mean, I think it's just the Big 12, but golly, like every time you read these schedules, I'm like, that is an impossible schedule. Like that, yeah. I mean, that especially is tough. They're going at Virginia Tech and at they're playing Pitt, Pitt at, at Pitt as well. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Neil Brown is like, everything is lining up against him. Um, you know, I thought, so first of all, uh, I started looking at West Virginia yesterday, and the first thing I did was start watching JT Daniels. I think I think he's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, he has good weapons. You know, the, the problem with West Virginia, and I'll get into this more in a minute, but, like, they lost, like, tons of guys on defense. and But they managed to retain that kind of core, those core guys on offense, Sam James, and I forget the name of their other wide receiver, but he's also good. Um, and JT Daniels. Bryce has, Ford Wheaton. Yeah, Bryce yeah. Ford Wheaton. Um T.T. Daniels has gotten a lot of hate. Uh, he had a good year as a freshman at USC, then tore his ACL, I believe. Got passed up by another four or five star freshman, Slovis, who's at Pitt. Yep, exactly. Um, so to me, it's just like you know, I, I don't know. Do you hold it against a guy for transferring away when a young four star takes your position? I don't know. Then he goes to Georgia, and you know he starts off hurt there, and then got passed up by a walk on, which I think a lot of fans really kind of held against him, but. I think that's kind of a unique situation in the fact that Kirby Smart was feeling the best defenses that have probably ever played college football and really just wanted a guy who could consistently get them to 21 points a game because they were never going to give up more than that. Um, and when you watch the tape, I actually thought he looked pretty good at Georgia. The problem was that he would throw the occasional interception, which drove Kirby Smart mad. I don't think Neil Brown's going to care about that at all. The other thing is I think Jarrett Dagey was terrible. Or excuse me, he wasn't terrible. Jared Dagey was a <laughs> below-average quarterback that basically had no upside. I'm not going to get mad at <laughs> calling him terrible. <laughs> I had some West Virginia fans get mad at me for that last year. I, I was like, why are you mad? Like, you should be happy this guy is gone. Um, but the problem is he he was a guy, it was very much like a Charlie Brewer situation where he couldn't throw to the wide side of the field. His arms, he just he, he couldn't do it. And JT Daniels has an otherworldly arm. I think Neil Brown is just kind of licking his chops, ready to open up the entire field. Um, I know I've been talking for a while here, but just quickly about the defense. My problem is I think I think JT Daniels very well could be one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the Big 12. He very well could be the best, and that offense could be pretty dang good. They just lost a ton defensively. Basically, anybody that was good on that defense transferred out. Except Stills. Oh, yeah, except for Stills. Dante Stills yeah. is back. He's still but. there, but they lost Akeem Mesidor. Uh, they lost – a linebacker and a safety and a corner. Um, and all of the guys that they brought in transferring in are from like James Madison and other logos that I didn't even recognize. Their secondary really is just yeah. reeling. So, I mean, I think this is a situation to where like they could be a top three or four team in the big 12 if their offense is just incredible. And JT Daniels looks like the second coming. And I would put the odds of that at not great, but not nothing. Or he could get hurt and their culture collapses, and they literally don't win a conference game. I mean, their variance this year, I think, is just massive. Uh, I think when you're losing that many guys to the transfer portal, it speaks to culture issues, which kind of surprises me with Brown. He seems like a guy from everything. I've When I've watched him and listened to him, he seems like a guy who could build a solid culture. So I'm not really sure what's going on there. Uh, maybe guys just don't like being in West Virginia. I don't know. But I think a massive variance on this team, and it's really just like how good can that offense be because the defense is not going to be good. Yeah, I agree with you. I do think their offense is going to be great. I hate their schedule. I wish oh, their yeah. schedule was easier. Yeah. That just makes things really tough. Their over-under is only five and a half, which I'm really tempted to take the over, but like you said, the variance is too high. I think a reasonable expectation, though, for this team is probably seven and five. I, sure. think, I think that's pretty reasonable. Make a bowl game, show improvements. Yeah. I mean, if you split Pitt and West Virginia – or excuse me, in Virginia Tech, and then make a bowl game at 6-6, six and six, I think West Virginia fans are going to be very – They should be happy. It's like, what do I do with this information? Yeah. It's going to be tough. It's yeah, it tough. is. The it problem ha- is, I, it, you know, seven, like you say, 7-5 and five might be reasonable, but I feel like this is a situation where they're either going to go 2-10 and 10 or they're going to go like 8-4. and four. I you agree. Know? It's just hard to bet it. Yeah, no, yeah. Like How do you bet? I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch that. And all five <laughs> offensive linemen returning, lots of weapons returning. Yeah. It's just they're a confusing team to me. Yeah. So they could be really good. They could be really bad. I guess we'll see on them. Uh, next up is a uh, – I know a team you're very high on and a team that I'm pretty high on as well, uh, Kansas State. They finished 8-5 mm-hmm. and five a year ago, 4-5 and five in the Big 12. Uh, They bring in Adrian Martinez. It feels like they have a great culture. They have Deuce Vaughn, who might be the best offense player in the Big 12. There's definitely an argument that can be made there. Um, If you go into their schedule, I think this is one of those schedules that 
probably feels a little bit better uh, mm. than some of the others. South Dakota, Missouri, and Tulane all at home. So no road games. And then they have to go to Oklahoma as their first road test. That's, oh, that's going to be fun. That's tough. Then Texas Tech at Iowa State by week at TCU, Oklahoma State, Texas, then at Baylor, at West Virginia, and Kansas to finish the season. In my eyes, one of the more manageable schedules in the Absolutely. Big 12. Yeah, I mean, I think – so there's a couple reasons – why I'm so high on Kansas State. You know, the first is, you know, I, I do these breakdowns where I watch basically every game, every play of the game, um, you know, f- four or five times watching them in slow motion. And the thing is, when I watched that Kansas State game last year, I was just wowed at the fact that every yard Baylor got, they had to earn. And that's not just coach speak. I mean that in the sense of like, guys were not missing tackles. They weren't getting out of their gaps. I'm talking about Kansas State defensively mm-hmm. here. They're not getting out of their gaps. They're not blowing coverages. They're playing hard. They're playing tough. Like Baylor was eking out three, four, five yard gains, and it was like it was it was like an MMA. It was cage. Tristan Ebner running into Ross Elder yeah. for four straight quarters. You remember that? It was like yeah. every check down. It was them two running into each other. I mean, yeah. just so well coached, and they bring back everybody basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, that defensive front, uh, I forget their defensive end's name, number ninety one, Felix. Yeah, yeah, Felix is awesome. Um, you know, they've got some of those classic, you know, just like not highly recruited, but big boys inside, uh, from the Midwest. And I, so I think defensively, I mean, they were a top 25 unit defensively in the country last year. I think they're going to be that again. And then when you look at them offensively, I'm trying to get on the big 12 media list. So I apparently got taken off. I want to vote for Deuce Vaughn to be the preseason offensive player of the year. Um, I, I would a hundred times out of hundred, give it to him over Bijan. Um, Deuce is an incredible college football player. And I think he's going to be an NFL player too. Um, and the thing with Adrian Martinez, um, I, I know I've been ribbing Smokey about this. Uh, you know, for those of y'all don't know, Smokey's a big Nebraska fan. And Adrian Martinez has basically spent the past three, or three years ripping the hearts out of Nebraska fans with stupid mistakes. But I think under Chris Kleiman, it sets up a very, very clear dichotomy where at Nebraska, Martinez was asked to basically be a Heisman level quarterback. If you watch how he was used, it was totally spread offense, giving him a ton of options on each play. He's throwing the ball downfield. He's doing everything for that team. I don't think that's going to be the case at all for Kansas State. I think it's going to be very much deuces the center of this offense. We've got a good offensive line. We've got a couple of good weapons at wide receiver. Your job is to hit some deep balls and to run the ball. You know, they're going to do a lot of stuff where Deuce is running one way on a fake mm-hmm. and Adrian Martinez is coming off both edges. And Adrian Martinez is a flat-out amazing athlete. So I just think I think they're going to be a top 25 unit on both sides of the ball, kind of very similar to what Baylor was last year. And that's the top 10, top 15 team in college football. Yeah, and, and they tried to do that with Skylar Thompson until he just got hurt too many times, so they weren't able to do it. Because yeah. Skylar was a very good athlete as well. Yes. It just, the injuries mounted. So I do think Adrian Martinez gives them stability there. I'm very worried about their secondary. They lost a lot at safety and linebacker mm-hmm. on the defensive side. So a good front, returning corners, but that in that inside of that defense, I just I'm very worried about how their matchups are going to be against you know teams that can really spread you out like a Texas, yeah. even like a Baylor. Yeah. If you're challenged up front and then your safeties are having to to guard deep balls, I just I think it's going to be very difficult for them at times. But they're over under six and a half. Oh my gosh, I, I'm taking that every missing? day of the week. Yeah, that. I have them second in the conference, which means I think they're going to finish with two or two or three conference losses. So you have them ten and two. I mean, close to that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, ten and two, nine and, and three in the Big Twelve championship. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think Baylor and Kansas State are the two best teams at this point. Okay. I, I have Kansas State. I think a, a reasonable expectation for Kansas State is probably eight and four. Um, I think that's reasonable. I, I probably lean more towards nine. Like I'm leaning much more towards nine and three than I am seven and five. But I think eight and four is probably a good number at this moment, as they really haven't proven they can win more than that sure. yet under Chris Kleiman. Yeah, I mean, I think I think nine and three is probably the number I'd put it at. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd necessarily be disappointed with eight and four, but this is a thing where it's like the conference is set up perfectly for them to do well. You know, when are you going to have basically a, a better opportunity to strike when the iron's hot? If they're ever going to be a conference title type team, I think this is the type of year to do it. Um, and I think they have a great team, so it'll be a fun year. Definitely. So moving on to Iowa State, uh, they finished seven and six, five and four in the conference a year ago. They lose probably their most historic roster they've ever had. When you talk about Brock Purdy, you talk about uh, Brees Hall. I mean, they, they lost some really talented players. Uh, their schedule lines up Southeast Missouri, then at Iowa, 
Ohio, uh, Baylor at Kansas, Kansas State at Texas by week, Oklahoma, West Virginia at Oklahoma State, Texas Tech at TCU to end the season. Uh, they're bringing in a lot, a lot of new guys, but uh, they do have a pretty good culture with Matt Campbell. Yeah, I mean, it, this is another. I'm so when I did like a first power ranking, I put them like seventh or eighth because I was like, oh, they're just losing so much. There's a lot of good teams in the Big Twelve. The more I looked at them, I have them like you know fourth or fifth in the conference at this point. Um, you know, and it's really for you know it's for a variety of reasons, but it starts with Matt Campbell. He's gotten a lot of hate because these last couple of years. Um, have gone poorly for them all right maybe it was just was it just last year i mean 2020 they were in the conference title game right yeah last year was their one bad year but it was because that was their most talented team yeah i mean i think it's kind of funny how narratives how quickly narratives can build in college football where like they're a perennially under uh, underachieving team and it's like two years ago they were in the conference title game uh last year they definitely underachieved like no doubt about it but i think sometimes like just the luck of the draw that happens to you in college football um so i think they have a good culture they're well coached um, and, you know, while they lose some key pieces, I think they also return a lot at some key spots. Um, their offensive line is a veteran unit. I think Xavier Hutchinson's one of the two or three best wide receivers in the Big 12. They've recruited really well at tight end because they built up, They you know, they were able to show high school kids, like, you're, this is what we're going to do with you in this offense. Um, Jaleel Brock is a totally fine running back. And the kid Hunter Duckers that's replacing Brock Purdy, I wouldn't be too sad. I mean, at this point, if I were now at uh, um, Iowa State fan, I'd be pretty happy to see Brock Purdy go. <laughs> and they actually pulled Purdy several times last year for this kid, Duckers, and I thought that he looked pretty good, especially for, I think he was either a true freshman or a redshirt freshman at the time. Um, and defensively, they lose a couple of key pieces, but they also return a lot of really key pieces. Their inside linebacker duo of Gary Vaughn and Orion Vance is one of the top units in the Big 12. They graduate a couple of defensive linemen, but they have guys who are right in there at the same size. And Will McDonald's back. Will McDonald's back. Uh, They had a guy named William Peterson who dominated Baylor last year, and now they just slot in his little brother who's now at the same size playing as him. So I just think it's a good culture. It's a good team. I really doubt that they're going to fall down into that kind of bottom tier of the conference. I think the good coaching is going to go a long way for them this year, and they're going to be right in the middle of the pack. They probably don't have the upside to reach the conference title game a year, but it's a team that I, you know, I would be expecting seven wins, eight wins, somewhere in that range. Yeah, I, I have them at as a reasonable expectation being six and six with how much turnover they've had. They're scheduled. They're going to lose to Iowa because they always lose to <laughs> Iowa. So maybe that was just a Purdy thing. You're maybe, but you're, I'm already chalking that up as a loss. They'll go two and one in the non-con, and then four and five in the Big Twelve feels that would be right. really like good. That, that's That'd solid. be good. So I think six and six is a nice reasonable expectation. They're over under is six and a half. I'm not really going to touch it. If I had to pick one way or the other, I'd pick the under, but I could see arguments for the over as well for Iowa State. Moving on to the next team, we still got three teams left, and we're already at Oklahoma, yeah. which uh, who would have thought uh, that they would be the third team here? But they went 11-2 and last year, 7-2 and in conference play. Uh, they lose Lincoln Riley. They lose Caleb Williams. They bring in Brent Venables, so they're kind of having a major culture shift Right now, Dylan Gabriel is going to be their quarterback. Jeff Lebby's in to coach the offense. Um, year one. Year one for, for another new coach. Their schedule layout is UTEP, Kent State at Nebraska, Kansas State at TCU, Texas, Kansas, bye week, at Iowa State, Baylor, at West Virginia, Oklahoma State, and close the year at Texas Tech. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really down on Oklahoma. Um, I've... I see that they, you know, they've been, I know the betting odds don't necessarily mean what the, you know, they're they're about fans betting and not necessarily about the actual strength of the team, but they've been kind of resoundingly placed out there as the as the favorite in the conference again, I, which I think is insane. Um, and I know their fans are really high on them too, uh, but I just have to go with my gut here. And my gut tells me that Jeff Lebby, Jeff Lebby ain't it. Uh, that could be a bias thing on my part. You know, I'm not a big fan of his offense. Um I don't think it's really going to work that well in the Big 12. I mean, obviously, I think they're going to have a good offense. I'm just saying I don't think they're going to dominate. Um, and they're definitely not going to do it with Dylan Gabriel. I expected him to be a lot better when I watched their spring game. Just didn't look good at all. He looked small. I think that is one difference where you can see, like, the G5 versus the P5 guys. Like, when you watch him at UCF, he, he looked like a totally fine quarterback. But then I watched him behind that OU offensive line. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy's like 5'11". And he looked like he was about to break in half. Casey Thompson. Type. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's going to get hit a lot in that offense, just the way they run it. I think if they're going to do well against the best teams on the schedule, it's kind of like you know, it's what Levy tried to do with um, – I'm sorry, the – 
uh, Ole Miss's quarterback who got hurt, Matt mm-hmm. Corral. Matt Corral. You know, they were going to run him out of those empty sets. I think that's how that offense needs to be most successful. And Gabriel just looks like a guy like, you can't do that every game, uh, and you probably can't do it most games. And so I think this is a situation to where, like, if everyone stays healthy and the culture stays good, like, they definitely should be, like, finish fourth, fifth in the conference, something like that. But I could very easily see him getting hurt early in the year, and they have nobody behind him. I mean, they took a transfer from some guy that that, that looked like he wouldn't even get a preferred walk-on spot General at Baylor. Booty. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and then the, uh, there's another kid I think from like they're taking like multiple guys yeah. who should not be scholarship quarterbacks at, at Oklahoma, and so I think this is a situation where like if everything stays well for them, if they stay hel- healthy, if Gabriel stays healthy, like they're going to be a good team. They have a lot of talent. They don't have as much skill talent as they have have had in the past. The defense is going to be an adjustment period, but it should still be fine. But I think it's a situation where like if Gabriel gets hurt early on and they don't have anybody to replace him, like, they could be seriously, like, they could really be fighting to get two or three conference wins if that kind of disaster happens, which I know you could say that for a lot of teams, but OU is particularly, like, has nobody behind Gabriel, and I think that's a real problem for them because he looks like he's he's about to get hurt on every snap. Yeah, it's very concerning for sure, especially when you're over-under is nine-and-a-half wins. No. That is a no. it's a very big number. That That's a historic typo. Oh, OU always wins this much. Um, but I will say, schedule is nice. It uh, is nice. When you, when you talk about Kansas State at home, Texas, neutral side, but then you also get Baylor and Oklahoma State at home, that's a big deal. Yeah, um, those are three or four of the best teams in the conference at home. Right. So I, I think for Oklahoma fans, a reasonable expectation year one is probably nine and three. Oh. I think I think fans would probably be happy with nine and three. I think the culture and just, you know, when you talk about a new coach coming in, Brent Venable should be able to get them to nine wins. I really believe that. Now, if injury happens, that's that's not something you can predict. Um, but the depth is a question mark. So I would say nine and three is reasonable, but I, I'm probably leaning more towards they could probably fall to eight and four or even worse if, they, if injury does strike. Yeah, I think I'd put them at like seven and five. I, I don't know. I just, I have, when you go with this kind of stuff, like, it's the Big 12. Like, these things are crazy, and I think you really have to trust your gut. At least that's what I tell myself. Mm-hmm. And I just watched that spring game, and it, it just doesn't feel right to me in year one. Yeah. I, year two, year three. But this year and in this conference, it, it, it doesn't feel right to me. I can definitely see that. So moving on to the next team, this team made the Big 12 championship. They had the best record in the Big 12 uh, until they lost in the Big 12 championship game. That's Oklahoma State. Yeah. 12-2 and two a year ago, 8-1 and one in conference play. Uh, they returned Spencer Sanders. Everything looks great on the offensive side. They do lose Jim Knowles um, on the defensive side. So they got Derek Mason coming in to be the defense coordinator. Schedule lineup is Central Michigan, Arizona State, um, and UAPB all at home, and then a bye week, a very early bye week, which is kind of unfortunate. I feel like at Baylor, Texas Tech, at TCU, Texas, at Kansas State, at Kansas, Iowa State, at Oklahoma, and then finally West Virginia to end the season. Man, I mean, I have them third in the Big 12, but after you read that conference slate, that's that's brutal. Um, I just think this is – they're kind of like the inverse of Texas, where I think the path their, – their, their floor is very high – and their path to how they're getting back to the title game is very clear. And what that means is, for me is, their defensive front is, is it's either Baylor or, or Oklahoma State for having the best mm-hmm. defensive front in the conference. I think Baylor's is elevated by having Dylan Doyle back and having a good inside linebacker. Their interior's better. Yes. The pass rushing side is probably in favor of Oklahoma yeah, State. Yeah, I mean, Colin Oliver, Trace Ford, Brock, Brock, Martin. Brock Martin. And then, the, yeah, I mean, that defensive front is going to be really good. The problem is that they lose both inside linebackers and all of their defensive backs. Mm-hmm. And they're moving to a new scheme. And the back end is where you can really see some differences in the scheme as far as what coverages uh, Derek Mason's going to be running. And so, you know, I think this is a situation where I, I do not like Spencer Sanders, but he's a veteran quarterback, and I think you kind of know what you're getting out of him. And I think Mike Gundy's obviously – I think it's pretty clear to me he's one of the two or three best coaches in the Big 12 easily. We saw that he was able to squeeze every ounce out of that offense last year. The fact that they were even able to get to 16 points against Baylor last year with the way Spencer Sanders was playing was an incredible coaching job. And so I think the offense is going to be fine, maybe a little bit better, but nothing great. That defensive front is nasty. And so if the back end is good, I think this is a team that could very easily make the Big 12 title a game again. But if they're not good or if they're below average, this is just a team that has a solid high floor, but it's probably more like fourth or fifth in the conference instead of second or third. Yeah, this is my 
team that I have as the second best team in the Big 12. And for a lot of reasons you just mentioned, the consistency of Mike Gundy, it's hard to bet that he's not going to win at least nine games. I mean, he just does it, it seems like, every year. I think that there's a lot of talented pieces who might end up being better than the guys they had last year when you're talking about Taylor Shetron, big-time receiver that they have, mixing him with Braden Johnson and, of course, Brennan Presley on the outside. I think that's going to be a better unit overall, even though they do lose Tay Martin. Uh, I love Ollie Gordon, their freshman running back. I think he's going to be – yeah, he's going to be a stud (laughs) in this offense. And so I think they're going to take a big step forward. They're going to have a very nice pass rush. And I think the secondary – will adjust as the season goes on. And I love that their three first games are all at home and then a bye week. They kind of get to figure out where they're at early on in the season. So I have a reasonable expectation of nine and three. Their over-under is nine wins as well. Finally, last team, reigning Big 12 champs. It's the Baylor Bears, 12 and two, seven and two in the Big 12. Uh, They beat Oklahoma State in the Big 12 title game a year ago. And they return a lot up front, but also lose a lot. They lose a lot of talented playmakers in the Big 12 as well. Their schedule sets up Albany at BYU, Texas State, at Iowa State, Oklahoma State by week, at West Virginia, Kansas, at Texas Tech, at Oklahoma, Kansas State, TCU, and then finally at Texas to end the year. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the the alternating terrible year yep. schedule-wise. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I'm afraid that this segment is just going to be me and you nodding at each other saying, yes, yes. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. On this one, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I wrote an article a few weeks back talking about why I, I think it's reasonable to expect that this is the best Baylor team of all time. Um, and I think last year was probably the previous best team. Um, the losses of Petrie and Bernard are understandable for why somebody from looking from the outside would have a lot of questions uh, about this team. And, and same deal on the offensive side with, with Tyquan Thornton and Abram Smith. I just think that the, as I've talked about, the value of good coaching. Um, Jeff Grimes on offense and Ron Roberts on defense, two of the best quarterbacks, uh, excuse me, two of the best coordinators in the Big 12. So Baylor has two of the best uh, coordinators in the nation. Um, with Jeff Grimes on offense and Ron Roberts on defense. And when you kind of look at their histories, it just, especially on offense with Jeff Grimes, I think this is a unit where year two in that offense means more than losing certain guys. Um, And, you know, Tyquan Thornton is the one guy that I think Baylor cannot replace this year. No wide receiver is going to bring what he brought to this offense. But I do think that when everyone is healthy, Squirrel Williams and Tay and Tay McWilliams are going to be a better running back duo than Abram Smith and Tristan Ebner last year. And when you combine that with a veteran offensive line and two tight ends who are now stud blocking tight ends who also can be threats in the pass game, I think this sets up a very clear situation to where if key guys remain healthy, and for me that's like, I don't know what Baylor does if Connor Galvin gets hurt. Um, if Tay and Squirrel both get hurt, that's a big question for me. If Shapin's hurt, I feel fine for a couple of games, but if he goes down early in the year for a long time, that really kind of, you know, handicaps things, obviously, but th- that pretty much goes for any, any team. Um, and so I, I think the offense is going to take another step forward. The defense is going to be a top 10, 15 unit. And so when you're looking at a top 25 offense and a top 10 or 15 defense, I mean, that's one of the 10 best teams in the country, and that's one of the two or three best teams in the Big 12, no doubt. So what, what do you think is a reasonable expectation for them? I mean, I think, I think the margins are so thin in college football that you can never expect a team to like only lose one game. Uh, it's just the margins are so thin, but I do think that like that 10 and two nine and three range as kind of like a median base range um, is proper. And then if they keep the right guys healthy, I mean, if they keep everyone healthy and they go eight and four, I'd be extremely disappointed um, because I think if everyone is healthy, this is a 10 and two 11 and one type year. Um, and so, yeah, it's a bit context-dependent, but I think being one of the two or three best teams in the Big 12 is my kind of base expectation this year. Yeah, I think their floor is 8-4, and four, and that's yeah. their over-under right now. And that's their floor. Yeah. And that's yeah. if – I mean, that would – like you said, that that would be a, a disappointing year. I think 9-3 and three is a reasonable expectation. Um, their schedule is tough. At BYU in the non-con is tough. The other two are pretty easy. So 2-1 and one there uh, or 3-0 and oh there. 
and I think you're off to a decent start with kind of the schedule they have. Blake Shapin, I think, is going to be an upgrade at quarterback. I'm nervous about replacing JT Woods yeah. uh, at safety. He's just why, so rangy. Why are you nervous? Your, your, your boy's replacing him. I know, but they're going to be running a different <laughs> scheme because of it. Yeah. You know, they're going to have more too high safety looks, which is not something they did as much last year because you could just trust JT Woods with a 4-3-6, yeah. you know, his speed. Yeah. So you got to get by in different ways. And while I think Devin Lemire is going to be a very nice player for them, He's also young, hasn't had a lot of experience, whereas JT Woods had three years of experience in the defense. So um, I think I think this is an interesting team. I think they're going to be able to run the football. I think Shapin's going to be really good, um, and they will have guys step up at wide receiver. So I think reasonable expectation for Baylor next year is nine and three. Um, but you could definitely sell me on ten and two or eleven and one. I do think they overall are the best team in the conference, though, going into next season. Yeah, and I'm I'm a bit surprised that people aren't seeing that. I mean, I know like we talked about like the key losses. Um, I mean, and you can't expect every everybody to know the team as well mm-hmm. as we do. Uh, but this is a kind of a year in flux, and as far as a lot of new coaches um, and no kind of clear elite team. And to me, again, that's where great coaching and like a consistent culture. Um, great coordinators, all that matters a lot. Um, and so who wins up front, which Baylor is going yeah, to win I mean, up front every game. I, I've written about this, and I've said it ad nauseum, but let me just say it here again. Apu Aika, Gabe Hall, Cole Maxwell, TJ Franklin, and Jackson Player, like that's your front, uh, like top six guys. That's insane. Like mm-hmm. you could take Baylor's second team defensive line, and they would still probably be one of the two or three best defensive lines in the conference. Dylan Doyle is a first team all 12 big um inside linebacker you know we'll see how they end up kind of configuring those pieces on the back end but Dave Aranda's worst ever defense as a defensive coordinator is something like 25th in the nation Um, I think this is an easy top 10 unit and if you have a top 10 unit on one side of the ball you just need the other side to be top 30 or so for you to be a top 10 15 team nationally overall and I think that seems like a pretty clear path for Baylor this year definitely and I think the addition of Luke Anthony people are kind of sleeping on a little bit he gives them depth at quarterback if they do lose Blake shape and like you talked about with OU they don't have a great option yeah Baylor has that option yeah with him and Kyron drones as well yeah I mean if Blake gets hurt in the second game of the year I'm probably not expecting them to make the big 12 title game anymore but I'm not worried about them only winning two or three more games like I would be with Oklahoma. Definitely. Definitely. So, I mean, Travis, that's it. That's the Big 12. That That is our Big 12 expectations going into the season. We're going to talk at length probably more times about the Big 12 and, of course, Baylor yeah. uh, as well. Um, but I think that's probably a good place to start. Reasonable expectations going into next year. Thanks, Travis, for jumping on and, and talking all about the Big 12 a little bit. Yeah, man. Really appreciated it. All right, and that's it. Um, thanks for watching. This has been Grayson Grunefer and Travis Roeder on sick of 365com